I really don't like talking about drugs. It wasn't my thing, and quite frankly, they scare the shit out of me. Sometimes we need to talk, though, and feel uncomfortable so we can be open to new ideas and a different perspective. What if there was a way we could help drug addicts not die? Wouldn't believe her Welcome back to Secrets of a Sober Mom. I hope you're all hanging in there. I'm going in a little different direction today. The conversation I'm going to have can impact you or maybe a child who is struggling with addiction. Drugs uh, were never really my thing. I know alcohol is a drug, but I'm talking about other drugs. Um, I was terrified of them. I mean, I think I smoked pot like two times in my life and I hated it. And, you know, it sounds counterintuitive. I mean, I was scared that drugs like cocaine and whatever anyone else was doing in college, I don't know, mushrooms, ecstasy. I was afraid those were going to kill me, but I was slowly killing myself with alcohol. So it doesn't really make any sense. My guest today is Julie Stampler. Julie is a harm reductionist, and we will get into what that is in just a second. And she knows firsthand about addiction. Um, Substance abuse have affected her life in several ways. She is the stepdaughter of Jack Fishman, who developed naloxone, which is the medication that reverses the physical effects of an opioid overdose and is, the, is used most often. And sadly, her brother, Jonathan, tragically died of a heroin overdose 15 years ago. And naloxone at that time was just not readily available. So hi, Julie. Hi, Leslie. How are you? I'm, you know, doing okay. This virus is, uh, <laughs> is certainly changing everyone's lifestyles at the moment. I know. I know. Oh, and I forgot to mention, and I'm, I'm, I, I need to mention it, that you are in for such a treat for the next 30 minutes, because even if you can't relate to anything that is being said, which I, I hope you can, Julie has a magical voice. <laughs> her, her voice, her voice is magical. It, it's like a oh. lullaby. She has oh. done. Yeah. Uh, maybe she'll <laughs> tell us later, but she's done, she's done voiceovers and you know, that's her thing. Um, in addition to all this amazing, amazing work she's done. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Now, now <laughs> I feel pressured. <laughs> oh no, no pressure. So let me, let's start out, you know, what, what is a harm reductionist and, you know, what, you know, what is the work you do now involving harm reduction? So harm reduction became, was a new term to me, even though it's been around for 30 some odd years, it's only been in the last, you know, six, seven years that I, I under learned to understand the term and it's in its most basic form reduction is the act of reducing harm. So we get up and we brush our teeth. That's reducing harm because you're preventing cavities or issues in your mouth. You get in the car, you put your seatbelt on, that's harm reduction because you're reducing the opportunity for harm. 
you go into a construction site, you put a hard hat on, that's harm reduction. So when we think about harm reduction in the substance use disorder arena, harm reduction is helping a person who uses drugs not harm themselves. And yeah, the global picture, anyone who does drugs is essentially harming themselves. But the idea is harm reduction, let them do it in a way that doesn't ultimately kill or do irreversible damage. So interesting. So it sounds like that could be a little controversial. It, it is controversial for a lot of people. Uh, it is hard to imagine that I, especially with my history, that I would now advocate for a safe consumption site where someone could actually go and safely use drugs. Hmm. But the reality is people are dying every day, upwards of, you know, hundreds of people a day overdosing, and they don't need to. It is preventable. So if, you know, in in countries where there are safe consumption sites, uh, there have been no overdoses recorded or fatal overdoses because they're done in a in an area where someone is there so in case there there is an overdose situation they're reversed immediately right. and there's also areas where you know there's opportunities to test substances so that you know what you're about to put into your body and so huh. that's important as well so I, I spend a lot of time talking to, to kids and, and I talk about ordering drug testing kits so that if you are going to be in a situation where people are using substances that you don't necessarily know where they came from, scrape a little bit off, put the reagent in it, and you'll know if it's bleach, if it's, if it's MDMA, if it's got fentanyl in it. So was- those are all methods of harm reduction. Oh, that's so fascinating. Um, it makes sense. It, it logically makes sense. And, um, I just want to push back a little bit in case other people out there are, are having the same question. How would you defend the fact that it's not, you know, it's not enabling drug users to, you know, keep using rather than, you know, to stop using, which you would, you know, rationally think that to stop using drugs is better than to continue using drugs, right? Absolutely. And I, you know, there's a, there's a struggle and pushback with the, with the term enabling and being so far away from my brother's substance use and his, his death, uh, as much guilt as I had for my part in it, I realize now it was not, I, I did not enable him. There was nothing I could have done. This was his journey. This was his path. Uh, not, it's, it's complicated because as you know, with, with your history, in the depths of, of substance use disorder, nothing's going to change what you decide to do. Nothing. But if nothing. I can, no if, one if, right, was nothing. going to stop me. Nothing. No, nothing right. was going to get in the way of my, in the way of my drinking. Nothing. Right. And so the idea would be 
let's have a you know if we safe consumption site as as the example let's have a place where someone with a substance use disorder can go to get materials that they need to to if they're a person who injects drugs to get the materials they need to inject drugs safely but also hey by the way if you go over to that person they can help you with treatment options Hmm. They can help you with mental health resources. They can help you with job resources or housing resources. So most of these places that operate, even just syringe exchange facilities, have resources available for treatment if anyone is interested, for medicated-assisted treatment, which is you know, definitely something big and, and something that I think more people need to be talking about, because there are options out there for people who use drugs what becomes complicated is that recovery doesn't look the same for everyone and shouldn't. And where my light started to shift, the the, the program, AANA, it's amazing and it works and it's brilliant for 95% of people. I, I mean, I'm, that's a number I'm throwing out there, but there is, let's say, this other 5% that aren't program people. They need something else. Agree. So harm reduction and recovery doesn't look the same right. for everyone. Right. And it shouldn't. Because, and that's what I figured out. You know, when my brother started uh, with his, you know, the, the first time he went into rehab and there were number of, there were numerous times. All we knew was tough love and 12 steps. And if you're not working those steps, then you're not sober. Right. And so it took a lot for me to come around and sort of evolve my thinking to recognizing that recovery will look different for everybody. 100%. And if for for someone who, let's say, is a, a you know, has problematic usage of heroin and they stop the problematic usage of heroin and smoke a joint occasionally and have a cocktail occasionally and their life is manageable, then I don't have a problem with that. Mm. So, you know, combining the programs, right? Because ultimately 12 steps, it's your life has become unmanageable. So if your life is manageable and you're not harming, harming yourself or other people, Right. Do what you got to do. One of the, one of the the mantras of the harm reduction movement is meeting people where they're at. So if someone who has a substance use disorder comes comes you know for help for example and says, "Hey, listen. I have a, a current dependency on on heroin. I would like to try to stop that." Uh, but so instead of using five times a day, I'm going to use three times a day. Can you support me in that? And the answer has to be yes, mm. because it's an effort there to change what is problematic usage, what is potentially unmanageable into something that's less. And so obviously, if you go times to three times, hopefully, then maybe it's two, that's one. There right. are, you know, areas in in the in the world 
where you've got a, a, a school teacher, for example, who has a, a dependency, but who can go into a consumption site, get her, you know, take a dose of, of whatever it is that, that she needs to take a dose of, feel good and functional, and then is able to go and teach. Right. No, I understand. I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And um, for sure, recovery looks completely um, different for everybody. But, you know, I just want to, you know, um, make it clear for, you know, people that are new to recovery um, and are in a 12-step program, this is just completely, this is just a completely, this is an alternative, you know, method that, you know, may work for some people because in the 12-step program in AA, you know, um, abstinence of any, you know, mind-altering substance is, is what it's all about, you know, with the idea being if you, you know, if you're a drug, if you're a drug addict and, you know, you stop doing heroin, but, you know, you start, you know, drinking, ultimately the addiction, you know, and the way your brain um, functions um, you're ultimately, it's going to lead you right back to the drugs. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, that's the line of thought for, you know, for the 12 step program and, you know, the reason for abstinence sure. of all drugs, which, you know, uh, it, which, you know, makes sense too. Absolutely. Well, that this is harm, you know, harm reduction is not anti AA. Right. It, it, that's, that's not the point, but I think what is important though in so many ways is understanding that addiction almost every time uh, comes from trauma of some sort, right. even if it's, uh, you know, a, a, an accident working at the cross, working out at the CrossFit gym that you injure your knee and end up with a, a prescription for Percocet and then you become dependent right? So your trauma was your knee injury, right? Uh, it could be trauma because of abuse that you suffered as a child, right? So if we have what, what I think is most important, regardless of what, of whatever your recovery path might be, is that you have to get under what started it because you are sober, but who still don't function. Because they have not accessed Absolutely. care for their yep. mental health issues. Right. And so you, and there was a, 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 a something you said that I, I'm going to push back just a little uh, because ahead. part of the problem, push me, push part me. of the problem, I will, I happily will. <laughs> part of the, part of, part of the struggle, part of the challenge for anyone with a substance use disorder is shame and stigma. A hundred percent. That's the big so thing. one of the things that the harm reduction movement works very hard in doing is changing the language around people who have a substance use disorder. So stopping using the word abuse even because mm -hmm. it has a negative connotation, even though we can say, well, that person is clearly abusing. Uh, we say substance use because someone's you know, three drinks a day is abuse for them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's got, who's having six drinks isn't abusing. So, right. so we just say it's substance use. And then even, even the, the phrase drug addict, 
right? So one of the things we're trying to do is use person first language. So not that there's, you can choose, you can call yourself whatever you want. You identify courageously and bravely regularly that you're an alcoholic. So in, in just shifting language, say you're a person who has a problem with alcohol because you are a person first. Hmm. The, the thing that you're dependent upon is most important about you. What is important is that you are a human who has a dependency on. So we say people who use drugs, people who inject drugs, people who have problematic substance use. And just trying to recognize that we are humans. I love that. Makes so much sense. And it's it's not easy to do. And and what's interesting is that most of the pushback I get when we discuss person first language comes from people who have no problem calling themselves junkies huh. or drunks. You know, they they and it's that shame that has kept them there. So I, it, it took me a long time because I found, you know, I was taught when my brother was in the throes of his addiction, that there was nothing wrong with me referring to him as a junkie, huh. right? Because we think about right. it, well, that's what he, that's what he was. He was right. a crackhead junkie on yep. the street corner, yep. Yep. but then you have to take a moment and go, holy shit, but that's my brother I'm talking about. So that took me, took me a long time to get there. And so I, and I hypnotizing derogatory language, I now like clench my whole body sort of goes, oh, but that's somebody's mother. That's somebody's cousin. Yes. That's somebody's yes. uncle. That's somebody's child. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm just curious. So that's another form of harm reduction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious, and I, you know, you don't have to disclose any of this, but um, so, how old was your brother when he died? He was 32. 32. And was he was he married? Was he a dad? Was he? So he, you know, it's one of those things where he would have been the the most amazing father. Mm. Always so great with kids. Uh, but he did not have children. And there's that moment where you're, you kind of like, thank goodness he didn't have children. Yeah. Uh, cause they would have, they would have been fatherless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, so the story, it's, it's, in, it, it's incredibly tragic uh, in so many ways. He, my brother, you know, was in and out of rehab programs, in and out of treatment facilities. He tried, I began a couple of times. And there were moments of, of sobriety where he was functioning. And in one of those programs, he met a, a lovely young lady and together for quite a while and, and were seemingly doing really well. They, you know, being in treatment with somebody else kind of is helpful uh, if you're both following, you know, whatever program, whatever recovery path you're right. on. So, so Jonathan and Ashley were, were doing quite well together and then Jonathan relapsed and then was ready to go back into treatment and had said to Ashley, I'm, I'm just going to go for one more. Uh, and that was the last one. Oh. Uh, and it, you know, obviously was devastating and Ashley, my brother died in October. I, in January, I was not, I, I was at that point, 
still in Florida. I was with Ashley while she got her one year chip and it was wonderful and 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 I was happy to be able to be there with her support her and she was you know a couple months after my brother had passed she was she was doing okay and then the following October on the anniversary of my brother's death Ashley died mm. oh and she she ended up using heroin and and overdosed and I had already been making plans to be there for her. Oh we had seen her. We, you know, we had gone down ten days earlier. My brother's headstone. So we had plans. We were like, okay, I'll see you in January. I'm flying back, and I'll be with you for your two-year trip. Nobody had any idea. It was just she. She and she had been drug-free. I think it was calculated i don't know i don't know i think it was too hard for her to be without my brother i, I nobody knows but ultimately you know i married my brother we had basically the same funeral fresh oh my god that is tragic oh devastating truly truly devastating god, i am so sorry you had to go through that yeah heroin i mean I didn't even know. I didn't even know what I didn't even know what an opiate was when I when I first went into treatment. I didn't. I was so naive about the whole drug thing. Um, and then when I was in rehab, you know, I met some people who were, you know, heroin addicts, and they became my friends. You know, and um, I certainly never knew anyone in my real life who ever did heroin or any, you know, anything like that. And when I went to AA, um, when I got out of rehab, I met this guy and very long story short, he was, you know, this young guy, you know, very handsome. I was newly sober and he was a heroin addict and, um, we became, you know, very close. I mean, the type of guy that wasn't for the rooms of AA, I, I never, our worlds would just never, ever, ever have collided if it, if, you know, if it wasn't for the rooms of AA. And we became friends and, you know, it, we, we had this like crazy little fling for, you know, um, for a while. And apparently, you know, he was supposed to be sober. I knew that, you know, I kind of knew that he wasn't. And, um, you know, a year and a half later, he, you know, I walked into a meeting one day and one of his friends came up to me and I had no idea and, you know, basically said, I I'm so sorry. And I didn't even know what he was talking about. And I, oh. I, and I almost fell over and, um, I wasn't shocked. I mean, I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised because you just, you just don't live doing heroin. Uh, I'm so sorry. That's a terrible thing to, to have experienced for sure. Uh, you know, I met now in, in the years that I've been doing this harm reduction work, I have met plenty of people who have managed to recover from problematic heroin usage. And, and, and they will tell you all, yeah, it is not, you're not living. And, and what's been remarkable for me is learning that most people with problematic substance use disorder, they don't care about dying. Dying is the easy part. You know what? You're it's right. It's the getting, 
it's the getting sick. Yes. It's the withdrawal yes. that scares yes. them yes. more. Yes. 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 Well, that's what, you know, that's such a huge part of addiction that, you know, people who aren't addicts don't understand. I said this in one of my episodes that I think that for the, you know, I'm using air quotes, normal person, you know, when they think of addiction and someone, you know, let's say an alcoholic, you know, they drink because they love to drink and they want to drink and it feels good and they just drink and drink because they just like to drink. But it's not like that. You know, at, you know, when at the end for me, you know, the last six months to a year where, you know, I was drinking literally 24 hours a day, you know, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, sweating my ass off and shaking uncontrollably like a leaf because, I was sick from not having alcohol in my system. And that's why I needed to keep drinking because if I didn't drink, right. I, I was sick and people die from withdrawal. So it's a whole component of addiction that like, you know, the normal person and they shouldn't, you know, they're not addicts, you know, don't really, don't really get, but, um, yeah. Detox and alcohol can be deadly. Deadly. So that is not deadly. something that no. is not something that anybody should attempt to do without medical supervision. Yeah, no, and it seems so random because when I went to rehab, I, you know, they gave me tons of medicine to, you know, detox me and calm me down, you know, and I never felt a withdrawal. I felt the morning I woke up in rehab, I I had I hadn't felt that great in, you know, in three years, you know, I, I felt great because they had given me, you know, medication. But when I relapsed for about a month after rehab and I stopped on my own, I, I, I felt I was, I felt like I was going to die and I was terrified and I didn't want to go back to rehab. And I called my doctor and she gave me medication, um, because I was terrified and it helped, but there are people, I mean, I hear it in the rooms all the time, you know, and it, it might just be, you know, I, I don't know what makes people able to detox on their own and some not, but there are tons of people who say, you know, I came in one day and I sat in this chair and I, I shook and I, you know, I sweat my butt off and I felt sick and, you know, I just, I just dealt with it. But it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so one of the things we, we haven't, you know, about yet is my, my stepfather, Jack Fishman, yes, who created yes, Naloxone. Yes. Oh my God. So that is Naloxone. Wow. Oh, it's, it's amazing. But Naloxone is actually used by people with alcohol use disorder because it curbs craves. So it's, 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 in its one of its components, it becomes part of someone's recovery, which is amazing. So the so naloxone will reverse the effects of an opioid overdose, but it is also used in conjunction with medication. Yes. So what is the, the yeah. pill form? What is it called? The um, because I remember they were pushing it when I left rehab. Not antabuse. It was um the name of the medication that. Makes you know that makes you uh, that curbs the cravings. Subox. Uh, no, no, not for it's not oh, for heroin. There's um, another. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, You're absolutely right, and I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, in a second, I can't think of what it is. But are you saying that naloxone is part of that's it's it's made with naloxone, or is that something totally different? Now it's naltrexone. Oh, okay. Naltrexone helps prevent 
relapses into alcohol okay. and okay. substance use. Right. So it did because it's a combination of. Uh, so it's, it's the component of naloxone in conjunction with uh, some other, I, you know, I'm right. not a pharmacist. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> right. Oh, I never knew that. That's interesting. I never took yeah. it. I didn't know that. No, because some people, some people, you know, you, there's because part of your brain, it's the cravings that, that, that keep people coming back even after right. so long like that's I would I would often wonder you know my 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 brother you know would spend some time in jail right and so he would be technically drug free and so at this point it's like all right well now now your 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 body is is pure in essence make the choice right to not use it and then you recognize oh mm, it's something internal yeah. That is pushing you and 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 drawing you to use again. Oh, yeah. Now Trexone. Now Trexone is is right. is what I'm finding. Yeah, that's the um. I'm, I, I, yes, I, you're right. But there's, I guess maybe it's the brand name I'm thinking of. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But I. But, yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that naloxone was a, a part of that. Um, well, one of the things that the the push for people who who leave rehab is that everyone who leaves rehab. Uh, especially someone with with an opioid opiate disorder uh, should be given an overdose prevention kit yeah. because it the the rate of relapse is so high in the first oh, couple of weeks yeah. and then and then and then overdose as a result uh, is also just as high because what happens someone goes into rehab even 28 days three months nine months let's say they they went into rehab using you know 10 baggies a day they come out and they're like oh well my dose is you know 10 baggies whatever and they go right back to their original dose and not considering that they they have no tolerance anymore and that's and it they overdose. and then they die yep yep that yep. i've heard yep. so many crazy stories that's what happened i think that is what happened to um my friend he had a little bit of clean time and uh that's that's what happened and i think maybe it was lace too i don't know it's it's a mystery no well right that's why we talk about we talk about testing your drugs you know we now there's fentanyl fentanyl has gotten into everything god basically yeah uh there are a lot of you know myths perpetuated about fentanyl uh but there are fentanyl test strips so that if you are buying street drugs you can test a little bit to know that there's fentanyl in it and we, you know, we would think logically, oh, uh, I just tested this dose and it's got fentanyl in it. Well, I'm not going to use that. Uh, no, <laughs> that never occurs to a person who's using right, drugs. Right, it's right, right, it's right. now I know that there's fentanyl in it. I'm going to use less. I'm going to go low and slow. And we, you know, it, it is so bizarre trying, you know, to, you know, having a conversation with a person who uses drugs and, and giving them instructions on how to use them safely. It is counterintuitive to what we've always been taught. It is, it is. But, um, but you, but, but the goal is to save lives and that's, you know, that's, if that's the goal, then that's a good thing. The goal is to save lives. Right. So when I was, when I was giving, uh, the eulogy at my brother's funeral. I, you know, I had, had two babies at that point. 
Uh, I now have three. Uh, no. I I remember, you know, one of the things that that I said was that my brother's death will save others. Mm. And so I, you know, found action and activism uh, in that. And so I, I, I spend time now going into schools when they let me and talking to kids and doing overdose prevention trainings as often as I can. So because mm -hmm. naloxone, uh, Narcan is the, the brand name, Narcan, which most right. people seem to be hearing. Right. Uh, Narcan, you know, should be everywhere. Because, you know, we, we, when, when you have a baby, they tell you, you should have activated charcoal under the sink in case your kid drinks, you know, Clorox or whatever. Right, right, right. right. So Narcan should also be in everybody's medicine cabinet, just in case. Maybe it's not for anybody in your house, but it could be for the neighbor down the street exactly. who, who just had back surgery and ended up taking too many oxys and, you know, cause they forgot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. That's true. Don't, um. Most, uh, I mean, um, when my friend, you know, was actively using, I mean, he, he overdosed, I mean, in the time that I was, knew him four times, he had to be Narcaned back to life. Yep. Four times. So, and every time he overdosed happened to have been in his home with his four-year-old son there. Oh, oh, I know. Um, you know, the paramedics came and they had the Narcan. So they all, they all have it now, but, but you're right. It should be, it should be in everybody's home. Well, naloxone remarkably, you know, my, my stepfather invented it by accident, uh, in the 1960s. Uh, and once he, they, they figured out what it could do, it, it is in every ambulance in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now first responders, police officers, EMS, EMT, they all have it fire departments right, have right, it. Right, right, right. Which is which is amazing. But so now yeah. that there's 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 a simple formulation which is the one I typically train with, which is a nasal spray. Right. Uh I, I it's on me wherever I go. Mm. Uh I live in New York City and and there's a lot of substance use disorder yeah. and there's a lot of homeless people and there, you know the subway stations are definitely a safe place for to crash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. for someone to use, in fact. And, and there have been, you know, there's moments now I, I've got this superpower because I can save somebody's life. I have to pay attention. Yeah. So when I'm getting off the, the train and, and going out to the street and I see somebody curled up in a ball in a corner, I have to stop, and make sure they're breathing. Yeah. You know, so that, it's, it's, fantastic. it's a, but, oh. it's a wonderful burden to have. Yeah. A wonderful burden. I love that. Have you seen, um, the movies uh beautiful boy or ben is back so beautiful boy i i i saw and i actually david chef who the book the the book is based on the book is about uh steve carell plays david right uh, i met him we and it's amazing what 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 the harm reduction world where where it's it's led me uh david and i actually were invited to the Clinton Library in Arkansas, there was a, a huge event on substance use disorder and, and we were on separate panels, but, but that's where we had met uh, years ago. So then, you know, the book 
is astounding. And so when the movie was getting made, uh, someone that I met through the Clinton Foundation was involved in the film. And so there was, you know, a, a screening for the film and David was there and Nick was there. And it, oh, it, it, that's it, it was wonderful. And then there was an opportunity that someone put together an event for high school students to attend a screening of the film with Nick Chef and Timothy Chalamet. Oh. And so I, I was involved and it was so interesting because my, my fantasy in that moment was they're bringing together 150 high school students. I'm bringing 150 overdose prevention kits and I'm going to do a quick training and everybody's going to walk out with a kit. And I wasn't allowed to. Oh, so it was so, it was so interesting that here was this film uh here is this person in real life who was able to sit here and and share the message of recovery and i they there was so much discomfort around me doing those prevention training it it it, it made no sense it made no sense. Oh my God, but in, what, I, what I did was I, I, it was crazy. I had the opportunity to at least say to anybody and everybody, I'm going to be hanging out here after if anybody has questions. And I did have a couple people come up to me to tell me they had some issues uh, in their family. And I handed kits. I was like, here you go. I'm not going to question why you're asking for it. Go, take it. Oh my God, you're amazing. You're oh, amazing. I don't know about that. Yeah, I, 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 I've, I've been through a lot and I'm grateful that I could take my family's trauma and my family's history and turn it into something that, that can help other people. Well, that's what, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's, that's what you're what, doing. You're that, amazing. Well, yeah, that's, thank you. Thank you. That's what it's all about. Um, but before we wrap up, I, you want to just tell everyone about, um, a podcast that you started during this uh, crazy time. And I get, we actually... can definitely talk about the podcast before. So what I will say though, is if anybody is, is listening and needs access to Naloxone, yes. uh, let me just, uh, let me just put yes, that out yes, there. Yes, yes, I was uh, gonna... You you can get it at any pharmacy. Mo you know, most of the major pharmacies have it. You do not need a prescription. Uh, some insurance companies will actually cover in New York State, there is a, a copay program where New York State will actually cover up to forty bucks of your copay. Covered. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. New York State's pretty, pretty progressive and and remarkable. And in, in that, it could be doing a little bit more, but but for that, it's it's really great. Uh, and if uh, you can't afford it because it still costs. You can look up any syringe exchange program, syringe access program, and they will have it and they will be able to give it to you. Right. I, that's, uh, I was just going to ask you how, how, um, how ubiquitous, how, where could you find the, the programs, the, the needle exchange programs? Are they pretty easily found? Yeah. I mean, it, Google, you really okay. can just Google. Okay. So, and if I, I, there was, a, there was a website. Uh, I think it's null for all. I'm going to double check that. Okay. Because that actually, uh, yeah. So naloxoneforall.org. Okay. 
and you can go there and and you can actually there's a button that says get naloxone it, you pick your state and it will walk you through the steps on how to find it there are some organizations that are even shipping it if you can't get to a place or if you're afraid right right fantastic fantastic yeah. what amazing so there's work. access yeah great right yeah, oh my I'm god grateful you, you to be doing it yeah no you you provided people with so much um great valuable information really fantastic amazing work that you're doing right thank you Thank you. And yes, starting, starting with this uh, pandemic seven, eight weeks ago, however long it's been, I was, I was motivated. I've done voiceovers for a long time. I was in radio for a long time, podcast here and there. And so I was motivated to start a podcast, which you were a guest on. Thank you so I much. I was, for, for I loved it. The show. I loved it, loved it. Lo it was fun. It was fun. I, I you know, trying to do something light even though the episode that you were on with me was heavy but in, right, in the right. best possible yes, way yes, yes, uh, yes. The, the reaction i got from that episode was really tremendous uh, love in the time of covid19 and and you know feel free <laughs> yeah check it out guys love in the time of covid19 and uh it's a great it's a great podcast lots of Thank great you. love letters and it's yeah it's great but, oh, thank you so much, Julie. Thank you, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really, the work you're my doing pleasure. is I hope really fantastic. And um, I hope you keep doing what you're doing. You're saving so many lives and um, helping each other. I mean, that's, you know, that's what it's all about, right? That is what it's all about. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, let's do it again. Okay, guys. What a great great conversation everyone hang in there and as always i'm cheering for you 